you see you see those end careers sometimes uh, you know that act, that's actually kind of what ended Yao Ming's career What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Stocks. I'm your host, Sam, and I am joined today by Travis Hansen. He is a doctor. He's an orthopedic surgeon that practices extensively in sports medicine. Uh, Travis, would you give us some of your background? Sure. I, uh, Like you said, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm based out of Houston. I trained at UCLA, and then I did a foot and ankle fellowship here in Houston, and since then, I, I've been here ever since. I take care of Rice University, which is also my alma mater as one of the team doctors. Um, I'm on the medical staff, the U.S. national soccer teams, and uh, I've covered some other professional sports over the years. So, yeah, pretty, when I saw your credentials on online and I saw the U.S. men's and women's soccer teams, I was like, that's pretty legit. And I know we have a lot of followers that are really into soccer. Uh, I'm not as much myself, but, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are and, you know, extremely cool. Um, so yeah, pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. I'm a fan of, of y'all's uh, platform and your work. Thank you. I appreciate that. So uh, speaking of that, how did you get into sports cards? What's your, you, you know, you, you were talking, we were just talking offline. You were saying right. that you in it before? How did that journey go? Well, I was a, I was huge in it, junior high, high school, smack dab in the junk card era. And then the whole junk card thing kind of turned me off. And then I just got busy. And actually, it's been, you know, it's been decades. I'm kind of a collector in general. I was doing first edition books. And then I got really into contemporary art. And it's funny, just across my Instagram feed, there's a, there's a the currency project is a two artists based out of Southern California who paint on, on sports cards, specifically basketball cards at the time. And there, I was just kind of blown away with their work and I got in touch with them and bought some of their stuff. And then I was like, you know what? I kind of should have a Kobe Bryant rookie because I, I just love Kobe so much and maybe I'll get a Kobe Bryant. So I bought that. And then I kind of started buying other stuff and it was a pandemic. Like a lot of people kind of got back into it and it just sort of, went from there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's a, uh, I know it's really blown up a lot over the past six months, but I, you know, I think for so many people it's, you know, so many sports fans grew up collecting cards and then I think everyone just kind of grows out of it and assumes it's part of their childhood. And now that so many people are finding it again in their adulthood, but you have more than the dollar that you'd go to the, you know, the store right. for it's, yeah. you know, it's fun and it's exciting. It's a nice way to, you know, there's, you know, the element of connecting to your childhood, but also, you know, getting to continue on and, and build your collection and all that. So uh, happy to have you collecting and joining the hobby and uh, really happy to have you as a follower. And uh, thank you so much for uh, supporting us. And especially again, thank you for joining us today. Happy to do it. We are recording right now. It's Sunday night. We're just started for uh, the fourth quarter of game six. Uh, Travis is a Lakers fan, so I'm not going to give him any spoilers, although I do have a plane over here. Uh, <laughs> last year's game six, NBA Finals last year, big injury took place. Uh, it was Kevin Durant. He ruptured his Achilles, which I think if I had to choose like the very last thing that I would ever want to injure on my body, seems like Achilles would be pretty far up there. 
Um, you know, that, the whole idea of just like rupturing or telling or tearing your Achilles just gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Is that injury as bad as it seems from an outsider perspective? I mean, it's pretty. It's, it's it's bad for an NBA player. For you and me, it's it's not the most painful injury you'd ever experience, and you know most non-elite athletes are going to go on to live a completely normal life after they rupture their Achilles tendon. But if you're going to pick an injury for an NBA player, yeah, uh, Achilles tendon would be low on your list of things that you want to uh, that you want to injure. I see you're assuming that I'm not a high caliber athlete, but that's, that's okay. a terrible <laughs> assumption on my part. That's, well, it's, true. Do that. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, yeah. You know, really just not a great history of Achilles injuries in the NBA. I was, you know, I know recent years, the most recent I could think of was Boogie Cousins. Um, right. Obviously we had Kobe Bryant several years ago and he was, you know, kind of advanced. It was he 34 years old at the time. I think um, Wesley Matthews comes to mind. Rudy Gay comes to mind. Not, a super great, um, you know, it's really just not very encouraging as far as you're talking about players coming back from injury. You know, all those guys, they came back and they were effective role players. And while right. most of those guys weren't like superstars, but we had Kobe, but 34-year-old Kobe um, wasn't the same afterwards. Uh, Boogie Cousins especially, you know, really, really good prominent player in the NBA beforehand, not the same afterwards. Uh it seems like a lot of people, especially in the card community, are investing right now, expecting Kevin Durant to come back and be Kevin Durant again. So I know you're you're not a prophet. I don't expect you to just exactly know what's going to happen. But in your experience, what can we expect to see from Kevin Durant coming back next year? So, you know, they've done a lot of work looking at – return to play in professional basketball players after various injuries and certainly including the Achilles tendon. And there was a study came out a few years ago and they found that 30% of players did not make it back to the NBA. So you have about 70% who come back and 30% who, who don't come back. Those that did come back the first season when they looked at player efficiency ratings, they were definitely decreased uh, as compared to their pre-injury status. Yeah. There have been a couple um, contrasting studies. One found even into their second season back, their player efficient, efficiency rating was lower as well. The second study found it was about equal. So I think it's pretty safe to say that you are not going to see the same Kevin Durant in year one, perhaps in year two. When you think about 30% of people not coming back to play at all, I wouldn't say that Durant has a 30% chance of not returning. Right. I mean, if you took, you know, the 10 players who are on the first and second All-NBA teams and they all had Achilles ruptures, they're going to be 100% return. Right. you got to think about, you know, the 13th and 14th player on the roster. They're already kind of fringe. And then if they're 90% of their previous self, then they're no longer in the NBA. So right. I certainly think he'll return. I think statistics show us he will not be the, the same Durant this coming year, although the timing is a little different because it's, He'll probably have you know more than a season off, so he may be rounding into shape. Okay, well that's good to hear. Yeah, I, it's this. Everyone seems to be penciling the Nets into that upper tier of the Eastern Conference next year, and and I did have my doubts about the first year of this. I mean, first of all, you get new coach, new players joining together. You got a guy coming back from a massive injury. Kyrie Irving wasn't exactly healthy this year either. 
Uh, that's just a lot of moving parts to, to come in and just be effective right away. Uh, but we can hope that then, like you're saying, that he can be better, hopefully, the year after that. And, you know, I guess, you know, one of the things that benefits for Kevin Durant is he's just such a versatile player. Right. When you have a player who who depends completely on being explosive, right. then it's going to be a much bigger issue as opposed to, like you say, somebody who who doesn't have to rely on that exclusively to right. be effective, then you're going to, you're going to probably see that player be more efficient coming back from an Achilles rupture. Okay. So uh, good things to keep in mind for Kevin Durant. And, and by the way, you know, we're not talking cards specifically here today, um, but you know, all these things are really related to cards and especially as you're going into your off season investments, uh, you do want to keep these things in mind uh, and you know, who's injured, who's coming back from injury, how they're going to look. Those are all things that are going to affect their, their prices over the next year or two. So uh, just be aware of all these things and it's all good information to take and digest. Uh, so let's move on from Kevin Rant, moving on to another big man. Uh, he's been an extremely popular name in the card market over the last couple of seasons. Personally, I kind of have my own reservations about his actual game and how effective it's going to be in 2020, 2021, I guess. Um, but also, this is a player that just hasn't been healthy over the last two years. He played 75 out of a possible 154 games over two years. It's less than 50% of his games. Of course, I'm talking about Marvin Bagley. Um, his injury history is, you know, just terrible. It reads like a medical book. He's a lateral right foot sprain, left midfoot sprain, back spasms, right thumb fracture, left knee sprain, left knee bone bruise, pelvic bone, bone bruise. It's just like a never-ending list for him. Uh, so here's my question about Marvin Bagley, but just in general, are some people just injury prone? I mean, absolutely. And it, it may have to do with, you know, specifically when you talk about Bagley and foot injuries, and I don't know anything about the, you know, the base, what his baseline looks like. But yeah, if you, there, you have certain anatomic factors that can contribute. If you have a big man with a really high arch, that's going to put some increased strain in certain areas of the foot and the ankle. Um, you know, if, if, if his calf is tighter than another player's who's more supple and kind of the force vectors that are applied. So yeah, there, there are some anatomic considerations that make one player more injury prone than the other. And then there's also just like, like balance issues. And, you know, some people have better what we call proprioception than others. And when they land awkwardly, they can kind of self-correct before yeah. they, you know, create a, a real problem for themselves. That's interesting. Cause I had a, one of my good friends all through high school, you know, we played all sports together and, and he was always better at every sport than I was, but I was always playing and he was always sidelined because fractured his arm, tore his ACL, tore meniscus. I mean, it was just like, one injury after the next. And I always thought he was injury prone. He said it was just, you know, bad luck. And but sometimes was, it is just bad luck. And in fact, all the Bagley injuries that you that you listed, none of them really scream at me like, uh-oh, in and of itself, that's going to be a, you know, potential chronic problem, like a navicular stress fracture or some other things. So sure. that is sort of, that list is a sort of a run of bad luck. But then at some point you got to ask yourself again, is there some some underlying issue that might contribute. Okay, I was going to ask that if, if any of those were worse than the rest, and seemingly they're not. That's really good news for him, I guess. Although, yeah, I so. he just keeps getting injured. It's like, what do you do? I don't know. 
Is there any way to improve that? Like to work on your your flexibility or like, I don't know. There are, and certainly somebody at his level has gotten all sorts of that, you know, from the time he was certainly at Duke, if not in high school. Sure. Um, You know, there's, you know, all sorts of stretching that they're doing. There's, there's working on their proprioception, balance boards, things like that. So, th- so there are ways that you can try to mitigate that, but you know, nothing, nothing is perfect, obviously. Uh, you mentioned the navicular stress fracture. That's actually right. the next guy I wanted to ask you about. Okay. That was Bull Bull. Uh, obviously, anyone who's been paying attention to the NBA bubble is familiar with Bull Bull and, uh, you know, he brought a lot of excitement there in the eight-game warm-up before the playoffs. Uh, didn't get much playing time in the playoffs. Uh, before the Denver Nuggets, uh, when he was with Oregon in January of last year, he suffered that navicular stress fracture in his left foot, uh, which is probably a big part of the reason why he fell to the second round where he was scooped up by the Nuggets. Now it looks like a steal. Um, he did have his foot surgically repaired. The Nuggets claim he's 100% now. Uh, first of all, what is that? So the navicular is kind of an um, an oval-shaped bone in front of your ankle. It, it contributes to kind of the, the side-to-side, what we call supination oh. eversion. Um, so it's a bone in your hind foot. And the problem with the navicular is the, the way the blood, the blood supply to the bone comes in, there's sort of a watershed area where the blood comes one direction, then it comes the other direction, but it kind of peters out right into th- this area. And that's the area you get a navicular stress fracture. And so you just have poor blood supply and you, and you need good blood supply to heal fractures. And so, oh. so a navicular stress fracture is a pretty, it's high on the list of potentially devastating injuries. And especially with big men with navicular stress fractures, that I've, that's really scary to me. You see, you see those end careers sometimes. Uh, you know, that, that's actually kind of what ended Yao Ming's career. Um, okay. and when I, when I see a big man with a navicular stress fracture, it, it, it's, I'm a little bit pessimistic, although I will say I was kind of pessimistic. Joel Embiid had that sure. and, and a big man maybe moves, not exactly like a plotting big man though, but I was a little bit pessimistic about how he would do. And he's obviously gotten over that, you know, I when I don't know if you read Bill Simmons, but back in the day when he was at ESPN, he, I remember this really stuck with me. He was talking about Odin and Durant, and there was this whole who's going to go first, who's going to go second. And Bill Simmons talked about seeing them, them coming to some, I don't know, awards ceremony. And he happened to be in the, the green room. And I think he described Durant as moving like a panther. And he, Odin was just kind of plodding along. And he was immediately like, yeah, I'm, I'm team Durant for sure. And I think there's something to that. You know, I think these people who are, kind of plotters. They don't distribute the force as effectively as, as, as other people who are a little bit more nimble. And I, you know, I think that that might play a role as well. So yeah, big man, navicular stress fracture. It may look healed now, but I, I find that pretty, pretty concerning. So just to be clear, this is like a, it's like an anatomical issue with him. Like his, it's just his body just doesn't circulate the blood correctly through that well, no, but like your, yours doesn't, mine doesn't. It's just there are certain areas of the body where the blood supply oh, to, I see. Okay. to the skeleton 
just isn't as robust as other areas. And those happen to be places like a Jones fracture. If you've heard plenty of athletes get these fifth metatarsal fractures, it's the same problem. You have poor blood supply to a certain segment of the bone and then you break through that and then it's a problem to heal it. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, every time you hear foot injury and, you know, a big man, a seven footer, it's like automatically you kind of recoil a little bit and uh, you kind of expect the clock to be ticking. Is uh, is his, you know, general light weightedness perhaps, you know, a benefit in that regard or is it just kind of always a problem for anyone? So, yeah, I think, you know, having a lower BMI than others, I'm sure helps that. On the other hand, his, his height, he's got these what we call lever arms and that just increases the, the force that you're applying. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly think for navicular stress fracture, better off being, what, seven foot two, 260 pounds rather than seven foot two, 320 pounds. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I, yeah, I saw, I had been reading online that it, you know, it's a rare injury and it doesn't have a great history, but you know, when it's like something that's only popped up a few times, I can convince myself that, well, there's just not a huge sample size, so we don't really know, but I also don't know anything about it. Right. I mean, I, I'm not one to really, to invest in, in young guys and kind of roll the dice. Right. Um, but I know a lot of people like to do that and I see the appeal of it. So if I was one to do that, I don't think I'd roll those dice on a navicular stress fracture in a big man. I mean, there's plenty of other players in the NBA to concentrate on, I would imagine. And sure. that would be, that would kind of eliminate that, that for me. Sure. So now the Nuggets, they have a pretty recent history of drafting guys that are facing injuries. So Bol Bol was last year. Right. And uh, two years ago, then they drafted Michael Porter Jr. And I know it, he, he, you know, you specialize more in foot and ankle, although I think you sure. sent a lot of other things too. Um, when he was drafted, you know, obviously only played a couple games in college or maybe one game, I can't remember, um, herniated the discs in his back. And I remember reading an article back in 2018 where they were interviewing a doctor and they said they were describing what the injury was like and they poked a hole in a jelly donut and then right. mm-hmm. and so, so that's that's accurate. Because that's like the grossest picture I can imagine. Yeah, it's like you you actually do squeeze a little bit of gelatinous, you know, you can think of jelly squirting out of this donut and that jelly sits on the nerve root coming out of the spine and irritates it. And um, in general, that injury, I think in a basketball player, I'm a little less worried about now that he seemingly is over it. I mean, I think maybe he could, you know, develop some issues with his back, you know, when he's 40 and 50, but... I have less concerns about that. What kind of once is taken care of and he looks good with it. I, I would kind of think that might be behind him at least during his, you know, playing days. Good. Okay. So that's like, like he's lost some fluids that his backbone vertebrae I don't know. I'm using all the wrong terminology, but he's lost some fluids that he'll, he'll need later on might suffer some right. pain in life, but which like, feels kind of, it feels pretty crappy to be saying, oh, it's only going to hurt him later when he's retired. So I don't want to paint it that way. But, you know, I am thinking about his playing career. You're more optimistic about his actual playing career then? I would say so, yeah. Okay. So that so that is something that, uh, you know, as the Nuggets said, he is 100% now or, you know, or so. 
we can feel better about that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's at a higher risk of having a re-herniation than certainly um, than another guy on the team that has never had a back issue. But I, I, think, the, I think the risk of it is, is relatively low. Okay, good. A uh, couple other, three more guys I wanted to ask you about. Sure. Um, two with same injury. Uh, two high-profile young big men with meniscus tears is Jaron Jackson Jr., Chris Tapps-Portzingis. Obviously, Porzingis, he had already rehabbed a torn ACL in his left knee. Uh, different knee now, which I think is good. Uh, he's a meniscus tear in his right knee, although now I guess he has two kind of iffy knees. Um, Jackson tore the meniscus in his left knee this time. Um, so I think there's probably varying levels of concern since KP already had some knee trouble and now he's facing it again. Um, now JJ has not had it before and now he is. Uh, how concerned should we be about those injuries? It seems like in, in, from my, and my NBA, NFL, MLB fandom, like a meniscus tear, it's not great. It's not ideal, but you recover from it. But then you think about a guy like Derek Rose, who seemed like every time he tore his meniscus, it's like his soul was split in another piece or something like that. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like with everything else. And even with Achilles tendons, like, you, you just, you can't really compare apples to apples. You don't really know exactly what happens. Uh, so, you know, when one player has an ACL repaired or reconstructed, and then a second player does, and the one player is back in six months and looks great, and the other player at a year is still not looking great, and you sort of like that, you know, the first player is so tough, and that, that guy's just sort of lagging. But, you know, there's all sorts of associated injuries that you that you will never know about. There's osteochondral defects where you knock off a, a piece of cartilage and bone associated with that. And you just, there's no way to tell. Um, the agents won't let you know, you know, everything's always rosy. The agents have to protect their clients. So um, you never hear after a surgery that things looked bad or went ba badly. Sure. But uh, you know, if it's just a straight meniscus, and there's no associated osteochondral defect or anything like that, I feel pretty good about, about them both coming back. And I, I don't really worry about Porzingis having a meniscus when he had, a, had an ACL on the, on the opposite side. These are just sort of routine basketball player injuries, and I, I don't think they really portend terrible things. So I would expect them to get over it and, and get back to their baseline by the start of next season. Good. Okay. Uh, now, speaking of knees and tearing things last guy jonathan isaac tore an acl on his left knee huge bummer to me i really do love jonathan isaac um i like a lot of the things that he he can do and a lot of the different tools he has at his disposal um he'd already injured that same knee came back uh played three games i think limited minutes and then tore the acl completely in his left knee um first of all talking about gross comparisons is it like tearing cardboard no no i wouldn't call it like tearing cardboard i i'm trying to think what's you know it's like you know it's like the really strong gristle when you eat oh, okay you know when you eat meat and ripping that apart okay i i had heard someone say before that they tore well my brother-in-law he uh He's torn ACL, I think, in both knees, and he said he heard it, and it sounded like tearing cardboard. And it's just like, man, that just not good <laughs> to my ears. A lot of people feel and actually hear a pop, but uh, I, I haven't heard it described as much of hearing a tear. All right, so that was just him then. That's good to know. 
so he's, you know, Jonathan Isaac, getting back to him, he's, you know, really athletic, uh, you know, gangly big man. Is he going to be okay? You know, in my mind, the taller you are, the lankier you are, the more difficult rehabbing like tendon and ligament injuries would be. Like I think of Giannis and, you know, they're talking about how long Giannis's hamstrings are or whatever else. And, right. and so in my mind, that would be harder to rehab than like a six foot tall point guard rehabbing. Is there anything to that or is that just totally just made up in my head? I don't think there's much to that. I, I think again, with with force lever arms and things like that, there there are certain ways that people might injure themselves in between a six foot footer and a seven footer. But in terms of rehabbing, I, I don't think there's really much difference. Okay, so with Jonathan Isaac specifically, um, he's only 22 years old. So does that? going to play in his favor as far as the rehab and then getting back the athleticism? Because I know that, you know, obviously we have like Adrian Peterson, uh, you know, six years ago or whatever, 10 years, I don't know how long ago that was now. He tore his ACL. He came back after however long and had the best season almost ever by a running back. Obviously that doesn't happen most of the time, but with Jonathan Isaac, 22 years old, that's got to play in his favor as far as coming back and being athletic, right? For sure. Yeah. I think the young, in general, the younger you are with soft tissue injuries and even bony injuries, the, the quicker and more efficiently you're going to heal something. Um, yeah. I mean, ACL reconstruction, most people are, you know, released for full sporting activities at six to eight months. Again, like the Achilles, we have pretty good data on uh, NBA return after ACL and about 90% of players do return. Um, and first season back, player efficiency rating lower than it was pre-injury and tends to normalize by season two. So again, like we talked about with Durant and the ACL, I might expect a little bit of a downturn um, for season one after the ACL, but I'd be more optimistic than with an Achilles that they're going to be back to normal by season two. Sure. Again, because he's 21 or 22 or however old he is, he might be on that on that better side of of getting back to normal on season one than if he were, if he was 27 or 28. Sure. Well, excellent. So that's Dr. Dr. James Andrews is the ACL guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of traditionally the, the one that the agents send their players to. Have you, have you ever met him at any like doctor functions? I have. Yes. He's super like Southern gentleman. Really? He, he's, 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 he's pretty great. Are you uh are you the Dr. James Andrews of like feet and ankle injuries? No, actually, there the the Dr. James Andrews of foot and ankle injuries is actually Bob Anderson up in Green Bay. Oh, He's, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he almost every foot and ankle injury in the NFL ends up with him. Yeah, okay, and uh, you know plenty of other sports. And then once you get that reputation, the agents are going to direct their their players to that person. Like they don't care who the team doctor is. And in fact, sometimes there's sort of like a trust distrust with the team doctors. Um, and so the, the agents kind of pick who they want. And, and yeah. Bobby Anderson is kind of very much that guy, at least for the NFL. And he, he's great. Yeah. I, I, I remember almost every time I see it, like a broken ankle or whatever it is. Yeah. It says they got surgery up in green Bay with this doctor. And it's like, right. dude, and, I never understood. Now I understand it. Okay. That's, 
Yeah. It's, it's really agent driven. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned team doctors is I'm sure you've had to work, you know, with team. Do so you are a team doctor. I'm a team but doctor, right. I'm a team doctor for Rice University. I used to be a team doctor in the MLS too. Do uh, why do team doctors get a bad name sometimes? Is it just because fans are so invested in the teams and they just distrust or what is it about team doctors? You know, the whole team doctor thing is kind of interesting. Um, so at least these days, almost every team doctor relationship is dictated by, you know, the team, the doctor or the hospital the doctor works for pays the team for the, for the right to take care of them to say, you know, we're the team doctor for the Houston Texans. Yeah. And so my hospital system is the team doctor for the Houston Texans and my hospital system pays the Houston Texans however many dollars to, uh, to, to have that right. So I, I think in general with team doctors and every team doctor I've ever worked with, and I've worked with a lot, I have never seen anything but hardworking people who wanted the best for the athletes. But I think, you know, agents come into play and, you know, there's some distrust like, wait, is this, is this doctor in cahoots with the owner? And, Am I, do they just want to get me back on the field? They're worried about their, you know, the, the wins and losses, and they're not worried about the next five years of my career. And so, you know, it's kind of a, a fine dance. Yeah. There. Um, so it's interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the team doctor for this big 10 school isn't necessarily just picked because he or she that's who the school wanted. It was, you know, Indiana paid whoever big hospital system or excuse me, the big hospital system paid Indiana University to say we're the Indiana University team doctors. Sure. And it doesn't mean that they're bad doctors because most of these big systems have some great sports medicine doctors and uh, they end up being the ones who are named the team doctors. But it's, it's an interesting relationship. And yeah. Bad outcomes happen all the time. Like if you're doing surgery, you're going to have some patients do really well and some patients do really poorly. And if you're a professional athlete that ends up doing really poorly, you know, and that's just something that happens, that's a bad deal. And then they get, you know, obviously they're pretty unhappy and then the agent gets unhappy. And then there, that's some distrust comes in like, oh, this doctor, you know, he screwed my, my player over. Right. We're never going back to that team doctor. We're, we're taking them elsewhere. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lot of politics involved. That, that is interesting. It's, uh, I guess, of the three parties, you have the agent, you have the team, and you have the doctors. And the agent and the team, they have the media empire, you know, the, the, the social media, the, the uh, print media, right. you know, news media. That's all at their disposal. They can spin any narrative they want. Whereas Correct. you're just kind of the, the nameless, faceless doctor in the background that's doing all the work. and it's easy to pass the buck off onto you, right. I guess. Right, right. So yeah, yeah I, I, I have uh, the people I trained with and the people I see putting in all the hours. They, they, the team doctors do it because they love it. They, they're not doing it because they get paid a lot of money to do it. In fact, you know, it's a money losing proposition other than being able to advertise yourself as the team doctor. But your team doctor for like an NFL team, you are putting in so many hours at that. At, at a basically a volunteer basis. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think really in a lot of areas of sports, the pay isn't really competitive with outside of sports, whether that be right. status, you know, do running stats or you know building databases right. or anything like that. It's always generally lower, but but they love it and they want to be around it and it's fun. And then, you know, that's why I do it. You know, I, I, I'm one of the team doctors for my alma mater and I, I get a lot of, I get a lot of happiness out of that. Sure. Yeah. Well, good. Well, now you can, uh, you can be the team doctor for uh slap stocks. If you, nice. if, you nice. if, if that brings you joy. <laughs> Absolutely. In, in our line of work, I don't anticipate too many ankle injuries, maybe Nate, but probably not. Right. Well, thank you uh, so much, Travis, for, for joining today. Uh, it's awesome to get your feedback on a lot of things. And now I can kind of dispel some of the false ideas I had about injuries. Um, I think everyone who's watching this probably learned a lot. I uh, really appreciate you joining us. And then, uh, as always, thank you to the rest of you for joining us today. Uh, it's a pleasure to continue to be sharing the card content with you. Please go to slabstocks.com backslash slabstocks, navigate to the bottom of the page, and then enter your email in the uh, the box where it says the Sunday newsletter or the Sunday, yeah, the Sunday newsletter, I think it says. Uh, you'll actually get cards sent to your email every single day, goodbyes. Uh, at the best competitive prices. So please go sign up for that and start receiving the emails. All right. That's all the time we have for today. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Travis. And then thank you to the rest of you for listening.